Brothers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, how you doing this morning? Man, it is so good to see you. And I am going to say this in every single service today, not just this one. This is my favorite service. Okay, I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this is my favorite service. Why? Because you get up, and some of you may just be getting up so you can like have the full day to go hang out, and that's totally fine. My parents always taught me that the early bird gets the worm. I'm telling you, and I, I, I absolutely love 8:15. Thank you guys so much for being here. We're going to jump in. Can you believe we're already at the halfway point of an eight-week series we started four weeks ago called Stronger? We're together. We're taking a look. We're diving deep into Ephesians chapter 6, specifically into spiritual war. When you look around our world, it's tempting to get disappointed. It's tempting to get into fear, but that's not where God wants his people. God wants his people in faith. I would say faith not fear. And where there is fear, there cannot be faith. And he gives us spiritual tools, armor, to help protect us against the fear, against the onslaught that's going on around us. And we're going to continue today. I'm super excited. We're talking about the being our feet being shod with the shoes of peace, which is really the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've missed any of this series, I believe the Apostle Paul is walking us through in order what we need to win. Here's what that means. This is week four. And if you're just jumping in, you have three other weeks I want to encourage you to go back and look at. Uh, you also have a study guide and a book. I believe those are still available out in the commons. You can pick those up. You can catch up. I promise you it's absolutely worth it. As a matter of fact, the Stronger series is also a discipleship course that we do uh, several times throughout the year at all of our locations to make sure that you and I are spiritually ready for what's going on. Here's the truth. We learned this in week one. What you see is not all that there is. There are so many believers getting walloped today because they think that the only truth, the only reality is what they can observe or interact with in their senses. The Bible says there is so much more going on that you and I are created spirit, soul, and body. When we give our life to Christ, our spirit is born again. That's a part of us that connects with God and connects with really what is most real. And so I want to encourage you, continue to lean in, download the app, catch up, stay with us, okay? We're at the halfway point. I'm telling you, he's wrapping up into a crescendo and it's going to be an incredible, incredible thing for your life. Remember, each week we're also going through a chapter in the Battle Ready book. It's a practical skill that you can use to really dig deeper into what we're talking about here. I want to encourage you to take advantage of all of that. I have just one piece of housekeeping that I want to talk about before we jump in and we talk about the gospel or the shoes of peace. We have an all-church membership meeting coming up on October 
first. For those of you who are kind of like, well, what is a membership dessert? Well, we actually meet uh, as a church membership twice a year to talk about all kinds of things. What's coming up in the church? This particular meeting, every October we do, to review our year end, our fiscal year, I believe is August to July 30, August 1st to July 31st, okay? And so we've gone through a fiscal year. We have lots of exciting things to share. We also had all kinds of things come up, some opportunities that are happening. You're seeing everything break ground. It's a chance for us to really connect with our membership. What is a member? I'm glad you asked. All of you probably are because you show up to church at 815. There are people who serve, who give regularly. And so I want to encourage you, if for some reason you haven't gotten a personal invitation, we do the best we possibly can. But every now and then we miss some people. Or you might be interested in coming to this event. Be sure to uh, download or scan that QR code uh, and register. And uh, Lindsay will actually get uh, with you. She's uh, coordinating all of that, making sure all of our people are there. And so I want to encourage you to be there. We'll also have a great dessert, but it'll be a great night of vision, of worship. It'll be really, really great. So I want to encourage you to be there. Just a quick recap. I'm going to go really, really fast. We're going to jump right in because I have more notes than I have time, and I've got to stick to time today. Week one, we talked about how to know your enemy, your true enemy. We talked about this reality of spiritual warfare. What would you What would you think if suddenly you realized that all you saw wasn't all that there is? How would you live different? How would you maybe interact with spiritual family or your Bible differently? Then week two, we talked about the very first and most central piece of armor you have to have as a believer. It's a piece of armor that all the other pieces of armor fit into. It's called the belt or the girdle of truth. The reality is you're never, you're never standing still. You're either moving towards truth or you're moving away from truth. Much like the gravity of life, right? Starts to kind of pull us to the ground. The girdle of truth pulls everything up and in so that we can battle the enemy. Next, we have the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would have fit into the girdle. It would have it would have weighed nearly 40 pounds. That's not your righteousness. That's Christ's righteousness. It's the only piece of armor you just have to put on. You have to put on and let it do its work. This is symbolic of your righteousness in Christ. You didn't earn it. You're not good enough, but Jesus is. And that breastplate actually stops all of the fiery arrows that come at your identity. You're not good enough. You'll never make it. You'll never be able to kick that sin. you got to keep going back to the reality that you and I are living a prequel. Christ has already defeated the enemy. He's literally taken the sting out of all death and destruction. You and I just have to put on that breastplate uh, to stand against the enemy. Today, we're going to jump in to the third piece of armor, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. If you have your Bible, as shoes for your feet, having put on, I love this, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is following righteousness. God says, here's what you do with that righteousness. You better put on the gospel of peace. Peace. We've got something to do. Now, this is interesting because it is something we put on, but the idea of footwear, what he's getting at here is you've got to be ready. You know, I get my kids up every single week for school, and I get up and I, I take care of the boys. And I don't know what it is. The girls are doing really good at this stage of life, but the boys are just a nightmare to get ready. And just when I think they're ready, this happens repeatedly. Okay, this happens repeatedly. And as a result, I've bought them shoes and I've stashed them all over the house. We'll get ready. We're already running five minutes late. 
which for me is still 10 minutes early. Come on, somebody. We're trying to get out the door, and I go, come on, kids, get into the car. What do I hear? Papa, I can't find my shoes. And I think to myself, why weren't you ready? You put your shoes on every day. You know we were leaving the house. You know, it's like baby group. Come on. Put your shoes on. I'm like the raccoon, you know, Gardens of the Galaxy. Many of us are like that. We're not moving. We're not able to move like God wants us to move because we keep leaving the house without our shoes on. When you study shoes, footwear is very, very important. I don't have to tell you uh, this is an army town. You know how important your feet are. You know, care of your feet is really important. I'm not, I wasn't in the military. My wife was, but I do love hunting. I remember uh, when we lived in Denver, I had the privilege of drawing a cow elk tag, and I was going to take down a, a, an elk that year. So we started uh, going, and we would, we would go up to the area that we were approved to hunt in, and uh, we would start looking. Well, that was a lot of walking, a ton of walking. And I had never actually walked in the mountains before this time. There's lots of inclines and declines and elevation. And, and listen, I, I had lots of water. I said, you have water. You got to have a lot of water in the mountains, okay? Because you don't even feel yourself sweat. You know, it just dries up. You'll be dehydrated, okay? You got to make sure you have lots of food. I think I ate 12 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the way up. Come on. Okay, but here's what I neglected. I neglected my feet. It was miserable. Matter of fact, I had to stop and come down the mountain. Somebody else went and shot my cow up that year because I didn't take good care of my feet on the scouting hunt. I didn't get the time. We didn't see where they were going to be, and there's no way I'm going to go somewhere without knowing that what I want to kill is there. Come on. Many of us are like that. We can't go the distance. You wonder why so many Christians fall out before they finish because of our feet. It's our feet. This is very, very important. Feet are important for soldiers. World War I, trench warfare, water Trenches, it was a big problem for our allied troops, Serbia, Russia, France, United Kingdom, Italy, Belgium, U.S. We had to face this new kind of warfare. These trenches would be uh, soaked with water, right? Being drenched in water for long hours caused all kinds of fungus and disease and rot. It stopped us where we were at. What does this look like in the Roman context? The Apostle Paul would have been looking at a Roman soldier. He would have been paying attention to how important it was to, that that soldier took care of his feet, Roman army didn't have helicopters. They did everything on foot. They had cavalry, but over 90% were foot soldiers. They were infantry. They, le they learned from the Medes and the Persians, the Babylonians and the Greek. The thing that made them famous is they built roads so that they could walk easily from one place to another. This was actually the forerunner to the United States interstate highway system. And I know we don't like traffic, but the alternative is a lot worse. This is literally, we literally got our interstate system from the Romans. They could move large numbers of men to where they needed to go. There was a lot of walking. This is what made the Romans so successful in putting down rebellion. Daniel would prophesy about the Romans hundreds of years before the empire would be established, and he would make note at how dangerous their feet were. The Romans could literally show up and put down an insurrection like that. It's what made them so incredibly fast and ruthless. Crucifixions were often on the road so that anybody passing by would know you don't mess with the Romans. You don't mess with the Romans. What eventually led to their fall was they battle on the edges of the empire where there weren't any roads. And as a result, they opened themselves up to multiple fronts and eventually the whole thing collapsed. Here's the point. Taking care of your feet is incredibly important. This is vital. This is the third 
piece of the armor. You put these on. This is a decision. You have to remember your shoes before you leave the house. Some characteristics of Roman footwear specifically where they were shod or they were bound on. These were not flip-flops, y'all. These were not slip-ons. There's not a shoelace in my house. Come on, thank God for Velcro. <laughs> I'm saying. This wasn't like that. You had to literally sit down and lace them up. Some of you soldiers, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been snowboarding or skiing, these would have been bound on. They would have had actually two parts. They would have had the greave, which had two plates that covered the knee to the shin, and then the calf in the back. They were bound together with with leather straps. They were then reinforced with brass, which were little pieces of brass all over the foot with thick leather soles. The Romans are where we got steel-toed shoes from. That's what would have happened here. They also had spikes. This is interesting. They had spikes. This is what made them so deadly. They had spikes on the bottom, nail spikes. They were made for stepping on people. They were also made for digging in. That's where we get that phrase. For digging in, planting your feet. When the Apostle Paul's talking about standing, this would have been something that anybody that knew or understood the Roman arsenal, they would have known that this had to do with the feet. Our ability, right, to preach the gospel to make sure we don't forget the main thing is our ability to stand in the fight. It was incredibly, incredibly dangerous. They were both offensive and defensive weapons. They were made for stance to hold their ground, but they were also made to trample people. Let me just tell you, little kids knew to get out of the way when the Roman army came through. When when a legion came through, they would not stop unless their commander told them to. Meaning that anybody in their wake, they would have crushed them to death. It happened regularly. They were so lethal. It's it's fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me that the Apostle Paul would use this piece of armor to describe the gospel. He would use this piece of armor. It's, It's significant and it's incredibly ironic. I believe he's saying this to us if you're taking notes. God called us to action in sharing the gospel of peace. The church isn't just, we just forward no more. We just get together, sing some songs, and that's it. No, 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 no. We have shoes because we need to be going somewhere all the time. There's always people to reach. Much like the Roman shoe, the gospel of Jesus Christ is twofold. This is important. It's twofold. We can never forget this. It is an offense, an offense to those who are perishing. Have you noticed the gospel just seems offensive to people who hate God? It is offensive. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He's talking about the gospel. That sword is going to pierce through natural families. It's going to divide close friends. Have you noticed that? You start following Jesus, and all of a sudden, it's like, man, your friends, you have to change. By the way, if you're following Jesus and your friends haven't changed, you're probably not following Jesus. I said this several weeks ago. You know, there's a famous book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's not been my experience following Jesus. It's been how to lose friends and influence people. Come on. How to make new friends and influence people. It's offensive, but it's also the power of God to those who believe. Isn't that fascinating? The same gospel that you first believed when you surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit, you're born again. That's a supernatural adoption into the family of God. Your spirit, which was dead, is now made alive in Christ. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, that rose you from your sin, is the same power you have to have to be able to continue in the Christian life. And yet at the same time, it also divides. It also divides. So while being offensive, right? It's offensive to tell somebody they're going to hell, but many people are headed straight there. 
It's offensive, but it's also loving. Isn't that interesting? You would have to hate somebody. I've seen different quotes from different atheists through the years. I don't believe in atheists. I think they're just people who don't like how God does things. You have no evidence for God. You have to take, it takes way more faith to believe that there's no God than there is one. They're just angry, usually. They're resentful. They're destructive. We call it critical today. Critical of everything. <laughs> it's interesting how the most loving thing you can do for somebody who's perishing is also offensive to them at the same time. That's the idea that the Apostle Paul's making when picking this deadly piece of Roman footwear to describe what we're supposed to be about in winning people for Christ and caring enough to say, you're going to hell and taking the risk, right? I, I suppose you could say it a little nicer, but ultimately that's the truth. You keep heading into a certain direction. The Bible says wide is the path to destruction. Narrow is the gate to life. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. There are three strategies of the enemy to steal your peace. I've got lots of points. And I really pray that as I go through here, God speaks to you specifically about an area. I believe this is an area all of us need to keep in front of us. Because if we can forget about what, what it means to be a part of a local family and church. We can forget about the, the guest chair. I talked about this yesterday at conference. You know, there's a guest chair. It's at the right hand of Christ. God's always welcoming people who are being saved into his family. We can never forget. We can never forget the people who are perishing. Church is not for and no more. We should always, always be reaching, always be pushing, always be challenging more and more people to follow God. There are three strategies that the enemy uses to steal your peace as a believer. You're going to need to overcome these. The first is self-doubt. Self-doubt, write that down. Get you thinking things. Well, if you were really saved, you wouldn't struggle. Well, if they really loved you, right? God was really for you, you wouldn't have any problems. The reality is Jesus was perfect and Satan still hit him. The truth is self-doubt is something that you and I deal with regularly. We're going to learn some other pieces of armor that's going to help us with that. There's some things you're going to be learning in battle radio that's going to help you with that. But your self-talk is incredibly powerful to your life. You've got to learn to align your self-talk with the Bible. Say things that God says about you, right? And when you don't, change your mind. God doesn't change his. That, that word just means, that's what repent means. You know that's what repent means? Literally, just change your mind. Change your mind. Change your thought patterns. Philippians 3.13, the Apostle Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Meaning that the Apostle Paul of all people, he's like, I'm not there yet. I'm still stumbling forward. I'm still following forward. That's the key. Are you following forward? But here's what he says. He gives us a recipe here. But one thing, I'm going to say one thing. One thing. He had a way of thinking. That's what he's talking about. There's one way that I continue to move forward even though I'm not even though I'm not where I want to be, this is how I keep moving forward. I forget what is behind, and I reach forward to what is ahead. Look what he says. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So how do you overcome self-doubt? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. This is something that you never grow out of. It's something that you constantly have to go back to. This is important. The first is you have to learn from your past. You have to learn from your past. You have to learn from your mistakes. By the way, you can't change your past. It's impossible. Good luck with that. Have you ever tried to unscramble eggs? Doesn't work. You have to learn from it. You have to get better at learning from things that don't work. We have to stop with things in our life that continually don't work. If this is your fifth church in five years, the problem's probably you, not the church. 
Oof, sorry. I've had, to, I've had to ask that. I've had to ask that. If you're in your third or fourth marriage, maybe you should do marriage differently. I'm not saying God can't meet you where you are, but statistically, you're more likely to fail the more you have. I believe it's because you don't learn from your past. I believe God redeems your past. I really do believe that. That's, when he was on the cross, he forgave all your sins. But not so that you could stay in them and not learn from them. You have to learn from the past. Next, you have to move on in the present. You have to move on. You have to keep moving. This is what the feed is all about. You have to keep moving. Yeah, you know what? You're not where you're supposed to be. But guess what? You serve a God who is bigger and greater than anything that you face. And if you don't quit, you won't lose. You have to keep moving forward. You lose by standing still. This feet shod with the prep. This is all about movement. You have to move forward. You have to do things that you don't feel like doing, especially when you don't feel like doing them. That's what Christian discipline is all about doing the right thing when you don't feel like doing anything at all. That's what Christian discipline is. Next, you have to keep your eyes on the future. What's your future? Jesus is our future. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul says, I press on, but I keep looking to my Lord because I know he has my back and I know that this isn't all there is. And I know that when I get to the end of my race, it's really not the end, it's the beginning. All things are gonna be made new. We're not gonna be little precious moments angels in heaven. And the Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Somehow, it's going to be free from the presence of sin. Many people have called Eden. It's going to go back to Eden. Eden's like the place we're from, but we've never been. That's, that's what that is in your heart. When you know something can be better. Man, that's, that's from God. When you want to put something forward, when you want to take dirt and make a chair because people need to sit in church, come on. It's a good idea. When you want to sculpt something, I, I can't explain how that's going to be without sweat and I can't explain how we're going to eat but not be hungry. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope we're not all vegans. I don't know. But if we are, it's going to be awesome. Way better than it is being a vegan here. Come on, somebody. You know, we teach Revelation. It's not the end. That's the beginning. These are birth pains. What comes after? Life. That makes sense. You got to change your perspective. It helps us move forward. So there's self-doubt. We got to overcome that. Next, we got to overcome God-doubt. God doubt. That's the doubt that makes us mad at God. Now, doubt in and of itself is not a sin. It will hinder God from moving in your life. And if it's not dealt with, it will become unbelief, which is a sin. We've got to learn to deal with it. How do you overcome God doubt? First, you have to know the truth. How do you tell a counterfeit? By knowing the truth so well that you notice something's off when there's, no, when, when there's a lot of truth, but there's something off. The best lies always have some truth. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word. You read it once, it's not enough. Read it again. You continue in my word. That's what we're doing here. It's a lot of the things, maybe some of the things you've heard before or, or some of the things you've never heard before, chances are you, you live long enough and you're faithful in church and with other believers like you should. There's nothing I should say that you haven't heard before. I'm just reminding you, pushing you, nudging you, Right? You have to continue in your word if you're really God's disciples. And if you do that, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The idea is continually set you free. We're, we're set free, but we get continually set free as we put God's word into our life. Next, you have to identify the source. Where's, where's the source really coming? How to overcome God doubt? Like, where's this coming from? Because every good and perfect gift comes from above, James says. John, John, uh, John writes this, the, Jesus says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So if it's stealing, killing, or destroying your life, it's making you fearful and not faithful 
it's not from God. So stop blaming it on God. Stop doubting God. It's from the enemy. God is all-powerful. Why does he allow bad things to happen? Because this world, right, there's sin in this world. And he gives us choice. You can't have both. He gives us a choice. And unfortunately, people this side of heaven choose to do the wrong thing. The whole world's under the curse, right? We've got to put God's word into, into our life. Next, we need to reject the doubt with the truth. This is so important. You have to replace it. There's a, there's a replacement principle here. Identify the source. You have to call it out and then speak what's true. You have to call it out. Many people are really good at calling it out, rebuking it. They don't ever replace it. You have to replace it with the truth. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5 says. With all, I'm going to say all. And there's that, there's that ancient word again. Just as modern as it is ancient and ancient as it is modern. With all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding, how you think, how you feel, what you want. In all, I'm going to say all. Oh my gosh, the word's there again. I had to cut you off. I'm sorry. It was like, there again. With all your ways, acknowledge him. and He will make your path straight. Don't do what is natural to you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. The next kind of doubt is people doubt. And I'm going to spend the next five, ten minutes. I'm going to go a little over it. That's okay. I want to talk about people doubt. I believe that anything God wants to do in your life, he puts people into your life. I also believe that anything the devil wants to do in your life, he puts people in your life. You have to know how to tell the difference. This is the power of church. This is the power of unity around God's word. We don't call fouls because we don't feel like that was right. We call fouls because it was wrong according to scripture. And if it's gray in scripture, that's probably relational. It's an opportunity for all sides to grow up. If it's black and white, right, we have to stand against that if it's very clear. There are 10 very clear things. Everything else isn't all that clear, meaning that it's relational. This is why he gave us the church. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have to start with this idea. We think that our biggest problems are people. No, they're not. It's the spirit behind. It's the spirit of this world, right? It's our own flesh, our own unwillingness, stubbornness to do the right thing, right? The Bible says in Romans 12, 17, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Everyone say peace. Live at peace with everyone. I believe a lot of believers don't live in peace, number one, because they don't take sharing the gospel seriously. They don't put their shoes on and they're not walking forward. That's, I think that's 99% of our problems. If we are all fixated on reaching and discipling people, growing up and into the body, we will stop being offended with each other. You know why? Because we don't have time for it. I remember as our church started to grow, we started to expand Several years ago, I had a couple staff people that were fighting with each other. And one of a thousand times, they brought their problem to me when it should have never come to me. And I just looked at them and I said, I pay you to fix your own problems and then some of ours. They just got so offended at that. Here's the problem. They, they were too busy worrying about each other and what someone thought or what someone said or what position on the hierarchy they held instead of doing their job. And incidentally, neither one of them are here today. Does that mean? No. It's cruel to have incompetent staff people leading church, leading people. Right? It's, no, it's, it's cruel to you. It's good for them. One of them actually is doing a lot better. But they needed a little bit of a kick because it wasn't working. Sometimes God does that for us. 
It's all about focus. I really believe if we stay focused on the right things, all these little things that just get us all riled up, they, they would go away. You know why? Because we don't have time for them. Men, this is important. When you're where you're supposed to be, you don't have time for all that other stuff. You know, you always fall into sin when you're not where you're supposed to be. Just be where you're supposed to be. That's it. I don't know who that was for. Unresolved conflict. Let's talk about conflict for a few minutes. First, it kills your joy. When you have unresolved conflict with someone, particularly in the body, remember, we're right, we're talking to the body. It takes your joy. Next, it hinders your worship. This is why the Bible says in Matthew 5.23, when you're offering your gift at the altar, here's what that means. When you're praising worship, when it's like, raise a hallelujah. You see why I'm not in worship. You see why they turn it up really, really loud over here. And you're just praising Jesus, man. You feel the spirit and then you remember. Man, it's a joke to my wife this morning. Man, you know, I said something and I didn't quite mean it. And I was, I was going and I noticed something was off with what I said. Oh man, there's something I've been meaning. There's a conversation I've been meaning to have that I haven't had. And it's really starting to piss me off. That always happens in worship. If it doesn't happen to you, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're just more saved than I am. Always happens in worship. Here's what it says in Matthew 5.23. When you're doing that and you remember, stop. God doesn't want it. Every parent knows this. You're fighting with your brother and sister, you go fix it. I don't even want to look at you. I don't even want to look at you. Matter of fact, you're not even getting dinner. You go deal with that right now. Every parent in here said amen. You know, God's the same way about the family of God. But we just harbor stuff forever until it just ushers us out. And we wonder, five churches in, what's wrong with the church? There's nothing wrong with the church. It's God's plan. There's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. We have to learn to reject offense. Next, it hurts our relationship with God. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. There's a, there's a difference between what you say and what you actually do. So as we close, and we're going to close very, very fast, I'm going to give you some steps to being a peacemaker. As far as it depends on you, what do you do? 24 seconds. You ready? Six points in 24 seconds. I'm going to get it. First, go first. Take the initiative. Stop waiting on them. If they were going to do it, they would have already done it. They're not going to do it. Be the adult. Be the leader. Be the Christian. Go first. I'm a professional repenter in my house because my wife's stubborn. It's just how it is. Strongest woman I've ever known. She is so stubborn. I couldn't count enough stars to cover all the times I've repented to her. I can count how many times she's repented to me on one hand and still have some fingers left over. <laughs> Go first. Go first. Next, own your own part. Start with what you did wrong. Even if it's point, like me, point zero 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 nine. Just own your stuff. She's not here. It's awful. <laughs> Next, seek perspective. Perspective, put yourself in their shoes. Okay, it's so that you can have compassion, not empathy. Compassion moves people. Empathy accepts and you sit in it. That's important. Compassion, he was moved with compassion, so Jesus did something. He sat them all down by 50s and fed them and fixed some stuff and cared for them. Does that make sense? Next, speak the truth in love. There is a right time and a right place. Speak the truth in love. 
pay attention to context, to tone. Right? We're all, some of us are wired hot, hot. Some of us are wired not. You have to figure that out for yourself in your relationships. Focus on the solution, not who's at fault. Don't fight to be right. Most of the time, it's their story. There's, it's their experience, your experience, and the truth. Most of the time, those are three different things. Those are three different things most of the time. But we fight about silly things. Yeah? Focus on the solution. Agree to disagree. Then focus on the relationship. Is it okay? Can two people walk together and be in agreement on the most important parts of Scripture and faith, on values, and have a disagreement on a detail and still walk together? Have a disagreement on what kind of worship music they like or they prefer or how they squeeze the toothpaste. I'm a testimony. My wife's a gorilla. I do it right. I roll it up so I, I don't waste anything. It's frugal. Literally like a gorilla. She's like, <laughs> her favorite son, I won't tell you which one, is exactly like her. Can we disagree? Can we laugh? Can we chill out? Can we not be so touchy? You know, I, I, think, I think what we need to do is take God's word really seriously and take ourselves less seriously. That's what brings the joy. That's, that's what allows us to move with those, with those shoes of peace. The gospel is what unites all of us, not that we all agree on every little thing. We're all different, but it's the gospel that unites us moving forward. I believe if we hang on to that, all of the other pieces that we add are going to be multipliers in the spiritual war, in the fight for our lives and our communities. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this church through this series. I love this group of people. They come in ready to learn. They're thinkers. Father, I can sense it. They're thinkers. They're leaning in. Father, they care. Your word says that you draw near to the humble. You give grace to them. I pray, Father, grace to each and every person here. I pray, Father, you speak to them what they need, wherever it is. And I pray, God, that they would leave this place as people who are assured of who they are in you. Father, and they're full of joy. Jesus was full of joy. May we be like him. Full of joy. Expectant. Strong when he needed to be. But full of joy. God, I also pray for anybody in here that's far from you. I pray, Jesus, you would, you would draw them. Continue to draw them to surrendering their life to you. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one looking around. We're almost done. Maybe you're in here and you're far from God. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't have to read your mail. I don't have to ask you an awkward question or pull you out of your seat and embarrass you. I'm not going to do any of those things. But if you're in here today and you're far from God, you already know you're far from God. Maybe at one point you followed him, but you, you didn't stay committed. You didn't stay planted. You let a fence. You took off your shoes. You stopped moving. And as a result, you didn't stand still. You went backwards. Maybe you're in here and you never experienced a relationship with Christ. I can save you a lot of time. You will never be all that you were created to be apart from a relationship with God, your creator, who made you and knows you better than you know yourself. And you can't get to him apart from Jesus' death on the cross, which paid for every sin, every sin that you've ever committed. 
You'll never be all that you're called to be apart from the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit partnering with you, drawing you closer and closer into God's plan and purpose for your life. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus rose so we can out of where we are. Maybe you've never done that. It's been because of your pride that you've tumbled. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to do any weird things. But if you're in here today, you say, Pastor, I'm far from God. Would you pray for me? And you want my prayer, and you're serious. Would you just lift your hand and acknowledge that? Is there anybody in here like that? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just put it up, put down. Thank you. See you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right where you're sitting. As a matter of fact, this entire group, we're all made new in Christ. And our faith started or restarted right where you're at right now. What you need to understand about God is he's a perfect gentleman. He's not a bully. He's not a tyrant. He gives you a choice, and you have to exercise it. He's not going to make you do anything against your will. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender, accepting what Christ did on the cross, that the Bible's true, and then inviting him into your life to change you. I believe that he's going to meet you right where you are. We're also going to give you some steps to help you. If you're really serious, take those steps, continue to grow, get planted in the family of God, and see what God will do in your life. But now let's pray. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are good and that you're God. I believe on the third day, after you were killed on the cross, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you defeated death once and for all to give me life once and for all. And so today, of my own free will, I choose to make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. It's in your name that I pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together for everybody who did that.